0: Hard to Believe is proud to be a part of the Cage Club Podcast Network. For more of this and other great shows, head to cageclub.me. If you want to get in touch with me, you can send me an email at john at cageclub.me, or you can find me on Twitter at probablyrealjb. That's P-R-O-B-A-B-L-Y-R-E-A-L-J-B. The show is written, produced, and edited by me. Hi, I'm John Brooks, and this is Hard to Believe. Today, I'm going to be doing something very different that I am not used to doing, uh, which is that I'm going to be making myself my own guest on my show. I know there's plenty of podcasts out there where it's just a single person talking to a mic to a listener for 45 minutes or so. Um, I am least comfortable with that kind of setup. I like talking to and with people uh it's one of the reasons why i like to do this show in the first place because it gives me a chance to speak to people who i find interesting um and i don't get out that much anymore because i have a family and three young kids and i work full-time uh and so this has sort of given me a chance to have a bit of a social life but i thought it was important to take a little while to talk to my listeners and kind of tell them what has been going on uh in my life and um give some context as to what will be going on in this show in the relatively near future for the next few months at least um so i have been gone from this show for about a month um and the reason for that is that i am more busy than i usually am um of course i'm doing a second podcast now with joey lewandowski and that's not the reason why because that podcast is frankly much easier to produce than this one is um, i i do all the work on this one by myself i have to schedule my own guests uh, i write my own show I edit my own show, I produce it, I make the art, I do all that good stuff. And um, this show is a lot more sort of intense and less free-spirited and fun than the other show is. Uh, So that really doesn't have anything to do with it. Uh, The real reason why I have had to pull back a little bit is that about nine years ago, I started the process of getting my master's degree in a two-year program that has taken me a lot more than two years. Again, as I said before, um, I am raising three kids with my wife. We both work full time. We both have jobs that can be um, demanding, sort of emotionally, uh, and, and require us to interact with a lot of people and be certain places at certain times and all that sort of thing. So uh, it's taken me a long time uh, to, to get to the point of finishing my master's degree, and I am about to be done. I am the second uh, phase of my capstone for my masters and i will be finishing in december and it's intense and there's a lot of uh work that goes into that um and just kind of mental work that goes into it that has made it so it's difficult for me to um put the sort of time and effort into the show that i normally do and would normally like to having said that in the near future i am planning on having regular episodes every couple weeks. Um, the release date might shift a little bit as obvious with this episode. Um, and I'm going to try and do it as regularly as I can, but I, I don't want to do it just for the sake of doing it. And um, I know that between now and when I finish up in mid December, uh, it's going to be a difficult time to, to get regular episodes in. Um, but I, I, I will, I will have things, coming your way in that time. So I, I'm not going anywhere. And I'm also not going to end my third season where I would normally end, which is in December, um, obviously. So I, I'm going to go into the spring with this one and then probably take some time off uh, late spring in the summer and um, come back with a master's degree. So I also wanted to talk about my degree itself and why I'm pursuing it and what I'm actually writing my uh, thesis about. I am studying digital humanities um, for my masters. And if you don't know what that means, it is a field uh, that looks at the way that humanities plays out in digital space and how digital tools and techniques, uh, the internet and things like podcasts, for instance, um, sort of create this new realm of humanities and also new ways of going about um, performing and and studying the humanities. Uh, So things like Um, using deep maps right where you where you instead of just having the representation of 2d space you can look at space in terms of time and um senses sights and smells and 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 so on and so forth and and using digital tools to enhance the way that we think about space as as not just a static thing but something that occurs in real time um, and has kind of a a memory to it right Uh, and, and that's something that is made possible of course by the digital world and digital technology um, so it might be kind of a bit confusing or, or maybe not <laughs> quite apparent like why someone with a religious studies degree who, who teaches religious studies and, and other humanities why that would be the field that I am pursuing and uh, the answer to that question and sort of how it ties into my thesis is that I, a few years ago, as you probably know by now, um, started really paying close attention to the QAnon phenomenon. And and I want to explain more personally, like why that particular phenomenon is so interesting and important to me and like why I decided before it became kind of a household term, um, the media only recently started taking it really seriously and and incorporating it into the way that it covers trumpism and so on and so forth um why from a very sort of early point that caught my attention and and my concern um and a little bit about my own history with conspiracy theories and sort of how it ties into what i'm what i'm doing for my for my master's thesis so um i, I want to first say that I grew up watching The X-Files, as uh, I made clear in the very first episode of this show, and that it's a very, you know, it's a formative show for me. And I I was really into, in the 90s, Art Bell and uh, alien conspiracy theories and all of that really fun stuff. Um, the movie JFK, I saw when I was like 12, and and um, I, I, I was very... Taken with the idea that there was a conspiracy to kill Kennedy, uh, I kind of no longer believe that. Um, I'm not really quite sure where I where I land on that one, but in general, I, I kind of accept that Oswald fired the gun. But certainly, I, I was I was very into kind of you know Oliver Stone and and this whole idea of nefarious government actors um, working and pulling strings to hide the real truth of what's really going on from us. And, and I was pretty convinced that like that was really happening and that the whole alien phenomenon sort of um, fits into, into all of that. And, and in the nineties, it was, it was kind of a benign thing. When I, when I was in college um, my first year or so in college, that really didn't have any bearing on the real world. Um, I would kind of have late, late night conversations with friends about, you know, like area 51 and, whether or not there was like a monument on Mars with a face on it and all that sort of thing. and it was you know it was sort of mind expanding. It sort of uh, it was fun to debunk them as well as, as well as um, maybe consider the possibility that some of these things are real. Um, and I certainly I think believed in aliens and alien abduction at some point, but it didn't necessarily mean anything in real time. Uh we we were not living in a society whereby those theories had much more bearing on people than than people who called into Art Bell um coast to coast at like two o'clock in the morning to talk about being time travelers or something you know really weird like that. But that all changed with 9-11. And in the early 2000s, I I personally fell very close i'm not going to say i went all the way into 9-11 trutherism but i certainly fell very very close into at least accepting some uh variation of the truther argument Um, i was not convinced that 9-11 was an inside job but i was sympathetic to the idea that it might be um so much so that I, i i think there was a point where I could have been on the very sort of precipice of falling into the kind of um, Alex Jones QAnon conspiratorial framework and becoming someone who could well have found themselves at the January 6th insurrection. And I didn't because i'm a pain in the ass when it comes to asking questions and i i'm not great at settling on a conclusion so i i i don't like to convince myself of anything um, people often ask me what i believe about so and so and so and i and i i never really have good answers because i don't i'm sort of allergic to the idea of having any kind of conviction or certainty um it just doesn't jive with my personality. I, I have things that I believe sincerely. I have values that I hold very, very, very dear um, that are relatively unchanging, I would say, over time, but not conclusions about the outside world and how it works that I'm ever willing to settle on. Um, that's why I don't call myself like an atheist, even though I think other people would, right? And it's it's that unwillingness to ever kind of settle into one pattern of thought um, that I'm always second-guessing myself that I think saved me from that precipice. But I got very, very, very close, as a lot of left-wing, uh, left-leaning wing, left people did, especially in the Bush years. And in, in the years after that, as I kind of thought back on it, I, 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 I really took to heart a lot more closely this idea that there is nobody who's immune from falling into the conspiracy theory trap. Um I tell my students this all the time. I ask them if they think they could ever be taken in by a cult, they all say no. And they all say because, you know, they, they have a set, set of beliefs already or they're too smart for that or whatever. Or they, you know, they know how cults work, they've researched it, so, so it would never happen. And I tell all of them that they're wrong, right? That that it is, we are not, um, we're not as strong minded as we think we are. And in fact, when we talk about cults and conspiracy theories and, and sort of where those two things intersect, it, they don't appeal to the rational mind, they, they appeal directly to the emotion, right? Um, and it's why whenever someone is um, initiated into a cult, it always starts with what we call love bombing, this idea that someone just tells you how great you are for hours and hours and hours or days and days or weeks and weeks or whatever, uh, until ultimately they sort of, you know, bring in the next sort of phase uh, where, whereby, you're told the secret knowledge, and and you know, um, subjugated into uh, service to the to the sort of you know chief of the cult, um, the 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 power structure, as it were. So, you know, it's really important for me to have sort of at least flirted with that idea firsthand. Um, that that I I kind of know what vulnerabilities were being um, manipulated in me by certain 9 truthers, um, to, to sort of recognize when we are all vulnerable and sort of how, how that happens. And so, you know, the two really big things, and so what I'm writing my master's thesis about is, 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 is the, the way that conspiracy theory or, or conspiratorial thinking has morphed and changed and and shifted in shape over time, kind of like a virus that is constantly mutating to avoid detection. So much so that I think that the people who are most responsible for making sure that young people don't fall into patterns of radicalization... Um, are almost universally unable to detect this virus when it arises and i want to make it clear to people like me who are educators especially educators of high school age students um a how important that is and b um how they can have have a, a basic understanding of history that everybody kind of knows um especially if you're you're a teacher and have kind of studied the you know humanities and have some basic um grounding in history and 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 sort of patterns that that educators can know so that they could just at least have the language and the ability to identify when their students are demonstrating um some kind of proclivity towards QAnon uh or or other conspiracy theories and and then also just sort of give a a basic um Sort of set of guidance for how you initiate that conversation and um, how to speak about it in a way that is non-judgmental but also transparent and 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 you know when we hear anti-Semitic buzzwords like globalist or George Soros, um, that you know what those are and understand. How to interact with the students about them. So, so that's what I'm I'm writing about and and studying. And of course, it's like, again, it's very intense. And there's a long and deep history here um, that I'm having a real challenge putting together and sorting out and um, condensing uh, in a fun way, I guess. But but in a way that is again uh, time wise and sort of mentally overwhelming um, f- for the time being. So, a little bit more about sort of the inspiration for that. I About 10 or so years ago, I've been teaching in classrooms now for 12 years, and about 10 years ago, I started noticing uh, that with certain students, um, usually boys around sixteen and 17 years old who are really into, um, especially into like hip hop and uh, YouTube videos, which is like most of them, uh, really an emerging prevalence of the number of them who came to me to ask me about the Illuminati and whether or not I believed in the Illuminati and what the Illuminati is and etc cetera, etc cetera. and I'm like this is really weird line of questioning because I remember the Illuminati being a sort of like very kind of background element of of the kind of conspiracy theory x files uh zeitgeist of the 90s but but it, it was again it was really sort of as almost like a Unnamed, unspecified kind of building block of it, and I was like, "This is really curious." I I don't. I'm I'm kind of troubled as to the number of people who are asking me this, and I'm sure most of you know this now. Like, I'm sure this is kind of old news, especially if you're just cooler than I am. But but a lot of this had to do with like certain imagery and iconography that was being um, displayed in like music videos and a lot of hip hop culture, especially like Jay Z and Beyonce. Um, The two that I remember and a lot of this ties to a really interesting history um that i won't get into here it but is a is a, a pretty wide-ranging history of uh in the early 1990s um that a lot of young sort of hip-hop artists latched onto bill cooper bill cooper is the author of behold a pale horse he is he is the the father of sort of the modern conspiracy theory framework um taking a lot of the you know previously existing elements of conspiracy theories and then sort of repackaging them into something that anytime you see a modern conspiracy theory it's it's sort of language and um and tenets can really be traced back to cooper and cooper is a fascinating figure um not a good one but a a fascinating figure and that story is a really interesting story but but for whatever reason, and for a variety of reasons, these ideas sort of became part of the hip hop culture, and then, of course, they appear in music videos, and they become part of the um, part of the sort of the um, the iconography and, and and sort of symbolism that becomes present in in music videos, and. A lot of it's kind of like trolling, for lack of a better term. That that really, when sort of Jay Z and Beyonce are flashing Illuminati symbols, there's a kind of like a winking to the crowd, but also sort of a a, a, a prodding at paranoid white people, <laughs> and and sort of a symbol of this kind of rejection of the status quo. But none of it is Jay-Z saying he's in the Illuminati and or that it's a real organization. And of course, with all of this there's there's a grain of truth, and the Illuminati, as I've talked about in the show before, um, did exist. Um, Adam Weishaupt started it in in Bavaria um, as a enlightenment era effort to keep. Um, some of the emerging science and philosophy out of the eyes of the watchful Catholic Church. Again, there's a lot of very specific history there that I won't get into here. But the Illuminati exists, the Freemason or existed, the Freemasons exist, right? The Templars existed and secret societies existed. And that's all true. And there are times when governments have conspired and have done things that are terrible um and are not public knowledge at the time and that they lie about and all of those things are true but those things really aren't the story um and i think that in my experience we dwell so much on those things that are sort of true and have this nugget of truth to them that we overlook what really matters here and so the big wake-up call for me was when that shift changed from hearing a lot about the illuminati which i was Very troubled by and knowing that they are finding out about it on YouTube was January seventh of uh, of two thousand one when I came or twenty twenty one sorry when I when I came into class that morning to a room full of really stunned young people who didn't know. What had happened, well, they knew what had happened, but why or how to frame it. And more importantly, that none of my colleagues had the language to explain what was going on. And I saw in real time what terrified me was conspiracy culture becoming real, realized um, in very stark vivid violent and terrifying form and the story that we often tell ourselves about january 6 which is a lot of stories and there are a lot of stories there but what was happening is that january 6 was an inside job <laughs> and it was an inside job that was pulled off by people who often say that 9-11 was an inside job there's something of a vicious circle going on here as though it has eaten itself that a lot of the people present at January 6th. In fact, in fact, I would say the majority of them, if not all, um, are conspiracy theorists because they are there to, um, reject and, and protest against a conspiracy theory, which is that the election was stolen and rarely, would would that be your first conspiracy? I I don't think that that's their first conspiracy theory that all of those people had embraced. Maybe a few of them, but but I I would I would wager to guess that the an enormous number of them also believe that nine eleven was an inside job. Uh, potentially believe things that like Sandy Hook was staged, or Columbine was staged, or Parkland was staged, or whatever, right? That all of these events have this kind of nefarious government um, element behind them. And of course, you know, QAnon was was very vividly there as well um, on T-shirts and flags and in the form of the gallows that was set up to hang Mike Pence and members of Congress um, to realize an element of the QAnon narrative uh, called the storm which involves the public execution of members of Congress who are portrayed as traitors to the country. And I found myself in a position of explaining a lot of things to my students that made me sound insane because I had to talk to them about lizard people and David Icke. Uh, (laughs) I had to talk to them about adrenochrome and, and, and all these sorts of things. And they could handle it. They're, they're, They're teenagers and they were interested and wanted to know that element of it. But I was alarmed, again, that none of my colleagues had the language for this or really fully understood what was happening beyond a protest gone wrong and people who were mad that Donald Trump lost the election. And I I had to really explain even to grownups who like follow the news that this was not about Donald Trump losing the election. This was people who believed that Donald Trump won the election, every one of them, and and, um, believed that because that's what they were told. And that's the lie that they were fed. And the way that they came to that conclusion was not through idiocy or ignorance, but because for them, Donald Trump and the election was emotional. It wasn't logical, irrational. And so I think that having a better working understanding for grownups who are in charge of teenagers especially is an urgent need um, in terms of them understanding that what we see in QAnon and what we see in January 6th and what we see with 9-11 trutherism and what we see with Name it is not new, and there is a known history that masks an important history that we don't talk about that has been with Western culture since literally two thousand years ago. I have a thesis that it's my own thesis, and some people have said the same thing and agree with me, and some don't. That's fine, but my my thesis is essentially that that. The idea of the modern conspiracy theory begins with the advent of the Roman mystery cults um, of around the time that Christianity became popular, because um, it was part of a marketplace of individualized religions that helped create a new way of um, both forging relationships with other people and 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 building. Um, uh, social networks, but also at the same time creating a kind of a segregation of religion, where people had their own secret religion, and that both can be powerful in terms of again um, forging relationships and and networking, but also allowing other people to be suspicious of you and single and mar- single you out and marginalize you as a as a community, uh, and then come after you under um, false allegations, right? And again, one of the things that sort of emerges out of that is that like early Christianity, early Christians were often accused of things like vampirism and cannibalism because they were rumored to drink the blood of their savior, God, and um, eat his body. And again, there's some truth to that, <laughs> right? Um, in, a, in a ritualistic kind of sense, but but it is of course a misframing of of the reality of what was really going on. And it was invoked as a means of kind of, um, developing a power upper hand uh, in that relationship, but that fear of what the unknown group is doing in a um, increasingly diverse Western world over the last couple thousand years has been one of the stories that has driven so much of our history, including the Crusades. Um, and you know i've talked about the blood libel in the past but also the persecution of the templars and the the idea of this figure of baphomet and you know rumors and misconceptions about muslims and what they're doing in the holy land and why that's why you know why you should go to the holy land because they're doing that even though it's not it's not true and 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 there's these elements of it including the um the innocence of children and the, and the, and the, um, the fear of harm happening to children, which again, look at the way that we talk about, or, or the right has, has talked about CRT as harming children or, um, you know, trans kids as, as being, um, mutilated by adults and, and, uh, all this sort of thing. And, and, and there's this thread that runs all throughout history of, a fear of the harm of children, being a powerful um, emotional manipulator to get people to commit atrocious acts. So the, the point here is that what's happening today is alarming, um, it, is, it is unique in recent history but not in all of history. It has a lot in common with the Holocaust, it has a lot in common with the Crusades, It has a lot in common with a lot of historical events that had led to widespread persecution and death um which hunts and you name it it is not new it is a matter of how we look at history and how we decide to frame it and how we decide to teach it and how we decide to talk about it a couple years ago after january sixth, about a year uh after or no maybe a few months after um that same year, Uh, I was in the middle of a class talking about Black Lives Matter, and in the middle of that conversation, one of my students said to me, you know who funds Black Lives Matter though? George Soros. (laughs) And I had to stop, and thankfully class was almost over, and um, explain what that student had just said, because they had no context for that. It it was someone who understood George Soros to be um, a bad person who pulls the strings of the world or something right just this sort of go-to boogeyman that the right has built um for george soros but it's the fact that he didn't have the context for that and didn't understand the extent to which it's anti-semitic and that it's a trope and that it's a trope that has been it just george soros is just the new rothschilds it's the new you know um the new blood libel uh the new witchcraft right i realized that this is spread and metastasized in a way that i don't think people really appreciate now in my research i will also say that so far i have i have found a number of um, not very well publicized and not not very well distributed, but a number of um, academic papers and uh, blog entries from from academics and teachers who have talked about this issue, who have talked about how students are are expressing conspiracy ideas in class uh how they've come to them talking about the way that their parents have been um radicalized on facebook by QAnon and how it's disturbing them right depending on sort of the grade level this is something that is best addressed at the younger generation um, who have not yet been radicalized and who will understand the signs and language that they need to watch out for um To avoid radicalization and the way to do that is not necessarily to teach them about the entire history of conspiracy theories in classes but rather to get educators to better understand what those signs are um and and how easy it is to uh to happen the last point i'll make is that last year when i talked to um daniel clark about the flat earth movement one of the reasons why i decided i needed to sort of study this further is that I asked him what he thought was the biggest, uh, culprit for, for the spread of, of flat eartherism today. And he said, without really sort of taking a breath, he said, it's, it's, it's the YouTube autoplay feature. Which, as he explained, you know, you can you can go on YouTube and you can be doing a research project for school on, you know, the history of the NASA satellites or something. Right. And then it will autoplay a next uh, video and that video will be slightly more interesting and maybe a little bit more um, more salacious (laughs) than than just the sort of educational video about NASA. And then there's another one and another one. And if you just sort of stay by your computer for a few hours, you know, an hour even into it, you're on videos that are deep into the flat earth conspiracy. And they're very compelling and they sort of, because they are tied and sort of, you know, sort of chained along to legitimate information, it gives that a sort of air of authenticity right A sort of a if you don't know any better then you might be like huh i didn't realize that people couldn't prove that there's a curve in that whatever right and that to me knowing the way that young people especially high schoolers use youtube and social media and don't really know how to filter things out you know for instance i i i most of my students tell me that they get most of their news from Instagram and TikTok and i didn't even understand how that was possible until i investigated it further and i think it's that division that i that even i don't understand right and i'm and i'm and i'm saying right now that i am more aware of like digital culture than most of my colleagues are that if it, i don't understand how they're getting that information through Instagram and TikTok i guarantee that 95% of people in my position don't understand it either um so i'm trying to put together something for you know as as a culmination of all the things that i've been studying and thinking about for the last several years but also one that i can share with other educators and say look here's a history that you know and here's how you can understand that history in a way that will help you understand what the dangers are and and how you know, things like memes have always always existed, right? We don't call them memes necessarily, but like propaganda has always has always existed. Um, imagery, stark imagery with a very particular political objective, has always existed. And so this is this is not actually new, and it's not something that you can't understand. You can understand it, and um, once you do, you will have hopefully the ability to prevent. Young people from from uh, falling into this increasingly dangerously conspiratorial atmosphere that we have built in this country and that we're living in um, in the post Trump, post COVID fear of vaccines world. Um, so that's what I'm doing, and I hope that me telling you this has given you a little bit to think about and 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 some context and. Perhaps some new information. Uh, that that was my goal. Uh, I will be back in a couple of weeks with a guest um, to talk about something really interesting. I, I do know what that, what it is. <laughs> I'm just not telling you yet. Uh, but it's going to be a good one. And so, in the meantime, please, um, I thank you for for listening. I've really enjoyed sharing with you all. Um, and hearing from you and your emails and everything else it's 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 really rewarding and fun and it's why i do this um i i feel guilty (laughs) to have to kind of pull back a little bit um but I'm, i'm looking forward to continuing having these conversations with with guests and sharing them with you so thank you so much for listening as always um be well be good to each other Go get your booster shots and I will see you next time.